My name is Vida, Sister Prince. Today is Friday, June 4th, and I am interviewing Kimberly McLean on her life for the Oral History Project, Race and Memory in St. Louis. This is my independent study, supported by the Missouri Historical Society. Who, who lived in your home when you were growing up? My mother, grandmother, grandfather, and uncle. And then there was another family on the first floor. It was a two-family home. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, Those were also relatives, by the way, uh, on the first uh, floor. On the first floor. Um, did you have your own room? No. My mother and I shared a room and a, and a bed. Uh -huh. And uh, what was your grandmother's name? Rose. Rose? Yes, but I called her Roro. Mm-hmm. And, and your grandpa? Um, I called him Granddaddy, but his name is um, Habib Dickey Ballantyne. Ballantyne. Um, and you said an uncle that was? Kimar. Yes, Kimar Ballantyne, okay. my mother's brother. Um, where did you live? On St. Louis Avenue, off of Kings Highway, 4947 St. Louis Avenue. Okay. And what area is that? That's North St. Louis. Is, does the neighborhood have a particular name? Not that I know of. Okay. Uh, tell me about it. Describe it when you were growing up. Hmm. When I was growing up, um, I don't know, I felt very proud um, of the neighborhood as a little kid. I, um, my grandmother and, and her sister who lived on the first floor, they were always home. Um, and everyone in the community knew them, and they'd sit out on the porch all day in the summer. And they kind of looked after other people's kids, and there was this neighborly, um, you didn't do anything wrong because if someone saw you, they'd tell your grandmother, that kind of thing. And I remember in, um, in grade school, when people, you know, you'd go around the room and teachers say, What's, which street do you live on? And they'd name Terry or Northland or different um, and I always felt very proud because I lived in St. Louis on St. Louis Avenue. <laughs> so I thought that that had some significance, that we were very important because of that. Right. And your date of birth was? Uh, 1962. 62, okay. Um, what was around? Were there stores or? or um, a store on each corner, um, gas station on the corner. Um, Oh, a, a liquor store across Kings Highway, and it, what was the name of it? Q King Barbecue, which used to be a popular barbecue place. Um, if you, so what school did you go to? Benton. It was on the corner across on Kings Highway. And what kind of school was it at the time? A public elementary school. All right. And was it uh, integrated? No. At that time? No, it was all black. Integration was in '54. The law that was passed. So this was uh, you were born in '62. This would be '67. Right. I there were very few whites still in the area, uh -huh. and those who were left, their kids went to Catholic schools usually. Okay. Um, would you uh, would you want your children? If you had children, would you want them to go there at that time? No. Why not? Um, 
now that I can compare, now that I can look back, um, it was very much an inferior education. I didn't realize, you know, that we had a lot of teachers who, if there were problems in the classroom, they would say, well, I don't care, I'm going down to have my break, and I have my education, I don't care if you get yours. So it was that kind of attitude a lot. Um, I was always getting beat up. There were school fights daily. Um, so there was fear, in a sense. Um, it was also out, it was a place out of control a lot of times. There were, you know, usually 35 kids in my classroom. So it took the teacher most of the morning just to get everybody to sit down, take attendance, and then it's recess or it's lunchtime. So there were a lot of things I remember we, we never finished in textbooks. You know, you'd start and you don't know what happened with the rest of it. What kind of grade are you talking about? Like Kindergarten through, um, I stopped going there in sixth grade. But the things that you are remembering would be? All the way through. All the way through. Yeah. Also, I now that I'm now that I've seen the difference, I resent, I guess, knowing that our school a lot of times um, when school started and they were passing out the supplies, um, they didn't have, for example, a box of crayons for each student, and they'd say because of the budgets or they were they would come in eventually, so they call each student up to the front of the room and you got to pick two crayons, two colors. Um, and now I understand that that's not how it happened on, on the south side. So I'm very bitter about that. Also, we never had new textbooks. They were always textbooks from south side schools. So I guess they got new textbooks and we got the old ones. Um, and they was, you know, they were often marked in and colored over and, you know, underlined and the whole bit. Um, So looking back, you know, I, I do have a lot of bitterness. I did have a few good teachers. I'm not saying they were all rotten. Um, but they were there out of misery in a lot of ways, you know. I don't know if it was because of the system or because they had too many kids or whatever, but they certainly took it out on us in a lot of ways. And I resented that. You knew it then? Yeah. Yeah, there was, there was one guy in my class named Clemo. And um, he was from like a family of 12 kids or something like that, and they were dirt poor. And he always came to school with, you know, very tattered clothes. And, um, and sometimes he had an odor. And, and, you know, I just, the teachers would constantly harass him. They were as bad as the kids were, you know, with you're dirty and you ought to take a bath and that whole bit. Um, so I always remember trying to be extra nice to him. And when I worked in the, what they call the lunchroom, passing out the free school lunches, I'd always give him like two or three, him and his sisters, because I knew they were kind of hungry. But I always, I just, I hated the fact that the kids bothered them like that, but the, the teachers especially so. so. Did you have friends there? Yeah. Um, my best friend was Antoinette Thomas. And she and I were always the, we were in the same grade, but we always tested the highest on whatever test they gave out. So we were 
friends and competitors in a sense. Yeah. Did you play together after school? Um, sometimes. My grandmother, you know, was very strict and old-fashioned, and so you couldn't go to other people's houses unless you were supervised. So if um, someone came to my house, that was fine, but I couldn't just wander off or anything. So, but it was mostly a school time relationship. Um, what did you do as far as school was concerned after Benton? Wearing school, another public school. We had moved, my mother and I. And Waring was um, supposed to be one of the better public schools in the city at the time. It was. It had a nice um, mix of of what do you call it? Interracial mix or whatever mix of students and and economics and so forth because it was part of a plea town. And that's you moved to a plea town. Right. We moved to a newer part of a plea town. And I started wearing school the second half of sixth grade, um, just for that one term. That was another nightmare. There were still the same school fights. Um, someone beat me up because they didn't like my shoes. <laughs> um, I was also very bored there for a long time. And it wasn't until one of the, well, one of my teachers, we, we, I, when I started there, I had a white teacher and one of the kids hung her out the window. And really hung her out the window. Hung her out the window, yes. And after that, she didn't come back. And you know, it was rumored she'd had a nervous breakdown, or I don't know. And after that, we got a substitute teacher in, this black woman. And she, I think, eventually became the permanent teacher for that classroom. And she called my mother one night saying, I'm sick of your daughter. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. And my mother said, what are you talking about? And she said, you know, your daughter is constantly causing problems in my classroom. She's always reading or she's talking in the back or she's not paying attention. And my mother was a little shocked, you know, because she's like, that doesn't sound like my daughter. And the woman said, well, it is your daughter and she's already in a classroom for slow learners. And my mother said, what? <laughs> and she said, well, you know, this is the sixth grade class for kids on the third grade level. So uh, my mother was, and I, you know, we were very stunned, to say the least. Um, she called the next day and talked to the school principal. And the woman told her, well, yeah, when, when I transferred there, there were no spaces left in the other classrooms. Um, Did you have any idea that you were? No, I just thought that they were slow. <laughs> just, <laughs> I had no inkling. Um, I know that people would complain about the homework and you know I never took any homework home because when she'd assign it I would sit there and just do it and leave it there. Um, but I never knew that there was that much of a diff you know because one thing there was so many discipline problems I mean there, like I said they hung her out the window and you know kids would dance and she she you know or, or just show off the whole time and you know I remember her telling this one boy she had had it, and she said, hit the, hit the door, Bobo, hit the door. And he went over and hit the door. I mean, it was just constantly. Um, she didn't leave. Yes, yes, it was constantly like a, you know, some kind of clown show. Um, so anyway, that's what the principal told my mother, and that I'd have to wait it out until she could find a space. 
um, which left my mother furious, calling the school board president, who told her she must have misunderstood that you know no one would do anything that ridiculous, and so he would call and check, and he called and checked and called back and apologized to my mother and said that I was being moved immediately to a different classroom. Um, so that's what wearing was like. Graduated from wearing? No, I stopped. Uh, um, after finishing the sixth grade there, I started a private school, Crossroads, for two years, so private junior high school. Uh, where is Crossroads? Now it's on DeBolivar. At that time, it was on Ewing, also in Laclee Town. So uh, you were still with the same kind of people as you were used to living with. In other words, it wasn't a big change. No, it was, it was, because it was a private school. Um, there were more whites, it was, I would say mostly white, um, and a lot of the kids, it was, I was one of the first students, that was the first year of the school, um, 74. So it started off with 50 students and seven teachers, um, Carol and Arthur Lieber, um, had been teachers for a long time and very disgruntled with the way that school systems worked and founded their own school. And They were kind of of the hippie generation and so were their friends and you called all the teachers by their first names. And, and were the teachers black and white? or No, all the teachers were white. Um, I think the next year they found a black teacher or some. The problem was that the salaries were low because they were just starting and it was, you know, a small private school. And that seems to be the problem a lot of private schools have in attracting black teachers. They, you know, you're almost looking at half the pay cut from a public school. Um, I want to catch up. Let's hold on the school for a minute. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to find out, originally you lived on St. Louis Avenue and you went to a uh, an all-black school. Mm -hmm. So when were you first aware, and how did you become aware that there were people whose skin was a different color than yours? Oh, I always knew when we went downtown shopping. Every Saturday we'd catch the bus downtown, and my mother and I. Mm -hmm. And she she was a shopaholic, and we'd hit every store and every floor. And, um, and then we'd always go to Kresge's, which was across from Famous, or Sticks, I don't know. Um, but that was the usual routine, and at Kresge's I would either get the hot dog or a slice of pizza, and, and we'd sit, I loved sitting on the bar stools um, at the counter. I guess there, because there was always this one, there were two counters, and one was always full of blacks and one was full of whites, and at that time there was no legal separation, it was just how people entered. And, and split off. The public accommodations law Right. So, there and and also I guess because some of the some of the um, smaller stores downtown, um, whenever she'd go in, you know, everyone would stop and look, and, and they would just stare at us the whole time, you know, just watching her like, <laughs> um, like we were freaks or something. And um, one of the stores she wanted to buy, I can't remember which store, I want to say Learners, 
or one of the others. She went to buy a dress for my grandmother for a Mother's Day gift. And she was saying she wasn't sure of the size and all of that. And they said, well, you can't bring it back if it doesn't fit, you know. <laughs> so it was like, take it and go if you want it. Um, did you know what that meant, or did she tell you? I just knew that it, it was rude, the way they had said it, um, and that it upset her. Um, and I couldn't remember any other store saying that you couldn't bring something back. Um, and there were a few, I know we shopped at Famous more than Sticks because it, there, there were a few people in Sticks, a few of the sales ladies, who were always a little snooty and, you know, and she'd have to call them back over and, you know, that whole thing. Was it something you looked forward to to go downtown? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, they still had the elevator ladies. Um, all of whom were black at that time. And I, I mean, I, I kind of admired them and, you know, I fantasized about being an elevator lady and um, I loved the old escalators. They had the old wooden escalators as you went further up. So, yeah. Um, did you ask questions? I mean, did, were you aware that uh, there was some segregation or had been? How was that settling in your mind? What were you hearing at home? What were you feeling? I, part of what I remember too is the circus, every, the, not the circus, the, the parades downtown. The VP, the, was it called? Yeah, the Shriners, the different parades. Because my mother always took me and we'd always get there early to get a good spot on the curb and the whole bit. And the, um, yeah, I guess they were Shriners because they were on those bikes. And the the clowns that were with them and all that that would throw out candy, they never threw it by me or by the other black kids. And a lot of times my mother would, you know, go up and say, give me a piece of candy for my kid, you know. But, or they'd like throw one piece and they threw whole handfuls towards other kids. Um, and the clowns, you know, she would have to like make one come over and shake my hand or say something to me. I just knew that for some reason we were invisible. Um, and I started thinking, you know, maybe I didn't smile enough that the white kids were smiling more. The reason the, they came over and so I'd smile more. Um, and at the circus that used to be at the arena, it was the same thing. They they had some kind of little, I can't remember what they were. They were like little bikes or something that they would ride through and they'd pick up kids and take them on the ride with them. You know, they'd pick up different kids. In the, and they never picked me up, which was, you know, I said, okay, well, maybe it's just not my turn, but they never picked up any black kids, you know. So. Did you ever... Was it something that you talked about with anybody? Yeah, with my mother a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And she'd say, yeah, I see this, you know. Um, or she'd, you, she'd comment to someone else, you know, they're not, you know, do you see how they're doing the black kids, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But we never, I don't remember us ever going anywhere and officially complaining mm -hmm. or anything. Um, did you get a kind of feeling? What, what did, how did that make you feel? Invisible. 
I guess would be the best. Yeah. Was there talk at home about, um, uh, or from your mother, about, uh, about people of different color? About the white person? Hmm. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember in what context. I there were there was a lot of um, like my grandfather worked for the post office and some of my cousins worked at um, what hospital was that? DePaul Hospital, which was in the neighborhood, but at that time it was still mostly a white hospital. And there were there were always these frustrations when people came home, you know, those white people and this white woman, and you know, but people would like um, deny them their vacations at the holidays that they were, you know, they worked there for 20 years and couldn't have Christmas off, that kind of thing. So I guess it was in the light of, of whites always taking away blacks' privileges. Um, in a work situation. Yeah, or in the fact of the circus or the parade, just always being the no man, in a sense. Uh, what work was your mom doing? When I was younger, she worked at Homer Phillips Hospital um, in the records department, I believe. Um, and then when I got older, she started working downtown it's now called the Civil Rights Enforcement Agency, and I can't remember the former name it had at that time. Um, did your uh, um, did you feel that your parent, your mom, or your grandparents provided you with what you needed for your everyday life? As far as material things, or so I'll just let you answer. Yes, I, I would say definitely as far as material things and love. Um, no, as far as individual choice and freedom. They were. Um, overly protective and you know everything was predetermined by them there was very little choice for me was this when you were living with your grandparents mm -hmm. mostly or did it change when you and your mom no it was the same it was the same it was probably worse by then because I was nearing um, my teen years, you know, so she was even more worried and paranoid. Tell me about uh, the Klee Town. About the Klee Town. Mm -hmm. What was it like to live there? Could you describe the buildings? <coughs> well, the part we lived in um, was probably half black, half white. Our next door neighbors were this young white couple with a little girl, Heidi was her name. And she was very shy and I, I know I'd go outside when she was out there and try to teach her games and play with her. And you lived there from 74 to 80? Mm -hmm. 
Then there was um, there was one part of the complex that had the housing was a little different. It wasn't a townhouse like ours. It was more of a four-story kind of. I guess you wouldn't call it a high-rise. But um, and under that there was a bar, a nightclub, and a little store, and and I always thought I always thought that was funny because there you saw the what we now call yuppies, but you saw the singles and you know they're mingling and the pool was right nearby and, and that kind of thing. And that's where you saw the nicer cars. So what, did you like living there? Was it, were you comfortable with the black and white? Oh yeah, yeah. And people interacted? Yeah, I had quite a few whites would come over after school or on weekends and play games and the whole thing. Or, you know, my mother would make a pizza or, mm -hmm. or something and it was never a big issue. Okay. Um, so let's go back. Now you were finished with a wearing school and you were at Crossroads. Mm -hmm. Continue on Crossroads. Crossroads had, um, like I said, the kids came from more liberal, back, the whites came from more liberal backgrounds. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so there really wasn't a lot of tension about that. Although you, you would still see that, you know, at, at lunch or whatever, that the blacks would be on one side and the whites on the other side, which didn't bother me. It was just something you always knew that existed and that was okay because it wasn't out of hostility. Uh, the children that you played with on the weekends or that you had pizza with and stuff, were they in your class? Some of them. Uh, so does it, does it happen that at school you were sort of, you were segregated, you, everybody segregated themselves, but when you got outside of school you all just ran and played together? No, it was, um, for me, I guess it was um, the convenience. A lot of the black kids didn't live in that neighborhood. They commuted, like from U City or somewhere, where a lot of the white students did live there. So it was easier to get together after school. It wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't this big thing of getting your parents to bring you and come back and all that. So the white, the black children were bused in. Not bus. Their parents dropped them off, or they carpooled or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very few of them lived in that in that neighborhood. So the the wearing school, which was there, was made up of mostly blacks. Mm -hmm. Crossroads was mostly whites, mm -hmm. and the whites lived in the mm -hmm. At Crossroads, mm -hmm. it was different um, because the the um, the teachers, as I said, were like hippies. Um, so I didn't have this. There wasn't this old feeling I'd had of of whites as these no figures. Um, they were just accepting and laid back. And um, I know I was very shocked when I found out one of the teachers, Cindy, had a black husband and. We went to their house and 
you know, everything seemed normal. You know, that was very, and she lived in North St. Louis and wasn't frightened or anything. <laughs> so um, it was things like that that were, you know, that opened my eyes a lot, that there were other types of white people than I had been exposed to. Two years, seventh and eighth grade. And uh, in the exposure that you were just talking about, uh, and your mother went with you over to her house. I mean, your, your mom was part of this exposure that you were getting. I think she had already been exposed just because of the work she was doing with the right. civil rights. But I mean, as far as you were concerned, she saw the exposure you were getting mm -hmm. firsthand, mm -hmm. and she was comfortable with yeah. what you were saying? Yeah. Okay, now you're finished with the 7th and 8th grade? Mm-hmm. All right, and, and now what? Mary I. Okay. 9th through 12th. How'd that come about, Mary Institute? Um, I guess after the, the unstructured way that Crossroads worked, I wanted a more structured school. Um, I was terrified of going to a public high school. You were terrified of going to a public high school mm -hmm. because all the fights. I mean, at that time there were, you know, even there were, you know, in '76 um, stabbings and you know the whole thing of the fights again. And, but this time, for high school, I knew the kids brought weapons, so um, that was just really scary. If you had gone to a high school, what would it have been? Probably Metro, which was. Um, more of an experimental public high school. In a lot of ways, it was like Crossroads. But was that's the one. School? We didn't have magnet schools then. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, all right, so your, your mother took the steps that, uh, for Mary Institute. Mm -hmm. We and started looking in the schools and calling people and asking their opinions. and They were all saying Mary I or John Burroughs. Oh. How'd you feel about that? Change oh, I was excited. Yeah, I you know I'd always fantasized because I used to um, look in the back of magazines in Vogue and Bazaar, and in the back they'd have ads for these boarding schools in Switzerland. You know, so that was my fantasy to go off to some, and the way they'd always describe it on the grounds and the whole bit. So in a lot of ways, Mary I and John Burroughs sounded very similar to that. So it was like great, you know. And so it, it happened. It happened. Were you aware of the process, or you had to go out there, or what? Yeah, I had to go out for interviews and went out and spent a day. Um, I, I guess the only thing that I, I wasn't, at first, I was a little hesitant about an all girls school. And the other thing was the dresses and skirts only. Um, but I adjust it pretty easily, I guess. You mean instead of pants? Right. Oh, and then the chapel thing too bothered me. They used to require chapel every morning. Um, and since I'm not very religious, it was something bothersome about that. But later I found out the chapel was, you know, a lot of times it was 
someone from the symphony or the opera company there, or, you know, a guest speaker or something. So it was. Kim, uh, were there any um, other black girls at Mary Institute? There were two um, that were, when I was a freshman, they were juniors. And no, I'm sorry, they were seniors. And one other black girl started with me as a freshman. So total, there were four of us. That I that was an adjustment. It wasn't a hard adjustment. It was just different. I had a lot of questions um, because the whites there were nothing like the whites at Crossroads. They had not come from liberal backgrounds. They had not been around a lot of black people. Um, the only black person that they knew intimately was their nanny or the maid. Um, so they'd ask things like, could they touch my hair? Um, or how do I comb it? Or do I get it pressed? And, and I remember um, they asked if I used hair oil. And I said, of course, doesn't everybody? Because I didn't know that whites didn't use hair oil. Um, so it was, it was a lot of that with them trying to, you know, I felt like their experiment or something in a lot of ways. Um, and then shortly after we started school that year, that first year, um, one of the girls, her grandmother, who had also graduated from Mary I years ago, gave her a birthday party and invited everybody in the class except the two blacks. And um, that was just, it was, for me, I guess it was hard because I could accept her grandmother doing that but I couldn't accept all the students who went. I felt like they were still participating in it. Um, so it made me feel a little distant from them. Did they know? Did they, did they... Yeah, the rumor it spread, you know, and it was, she's really sorry, but it's her grandmother and, you know, that whole thing. So, and um, the few who weren't going, weren't going because of that. They were just going because they didn't feel like going. Did you, did you go to anybody's house? Mm-hmm, a few times. Um, usually because we were, you know, it was a parade the next day or a big game or some event where, you know, I would be invited to spend the night and that whole thing, so I'd be already out in that neighborhood. And did anybody come to your house? Did you invite them? Yes, and no one came. Um, they'd usually say, well, I don't know, because you live in a city, I'll have to ask my mom, you know. <laughs> they um, usually, I mean, it was always, because my mother tried to have a, like a little Saturday afternoon party for me, and nobody could come. Uh, were you having a good time, Kim? I was having a good time in the classrooms, yeah. Um, I was crazy about my English teacher and my algebra teacher. You know, I was really enjoying the subjects, except for one, which I didn't like early European history. Um, 
because the the teacher where was she from New Zealand or something and for some reason I just felt like she didn't like me it seemed like she didn't see me or she ignored me or something in a class and um, her whole everything she taught in this early European history was on the assumption that you were a Christian and that you had that you knew the Bible very well and and since I didn't consider myself a Christian then either it was, you know, and, and even if I had been, I would have been with my grandmother as a Baptist, so I still wouldn't have had that European perspective that she taught from. So it was just difficult for me that that was always her basis of teaching that. What did you have to do to go there? What did you have to change? Or did you have, was there anything that you had to change about yourself from going home to going out to Mary? change about myself. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I guess I, it, it was always, because I'd catch the bus home, my mother would drop me off and I'd get the bus home. And I guess the change for me on the bus was that For one thing, the, the other people in the bus were all the cleaning ladies from Ladue. Um, and then when we hit the city lines, you know, started hitting King's Highway or something, um, a lot of them would get off and then you had other city people coming on the bus. And there were a lot of comments, you talk like a white girl and, you know, that kind of thing. So a lot of times I was uncomfortable on the bus. And, you know, I just hated it. You know, it's like if I could find another way home. Um, that was probably basically it. The other, th I guess the other thing I had to change about me was to learn to study more. I was used to being around slow learners or whatever. Um, so I actually had homework and lots of homework and that kind of thing. So that was that was difficult for me to get used to. Um, your when you bought your clothes for school, did you have to think differently about what you were buying? No, in a lot of ways, I, I would th I think probably because one, my mother was a fashion hound herself, and maybe because we were black and worried about. Um, not fitting in, I was the best dressed girl there for four years and voted the best dressed girl. But I mean, we, in a sense, we overcompensated. Yeah. Um, and your, is there a change from being with, in a more familiar surrounding than there might be? I mean, did you change uh, any language? I was told I changed language. I, I can never hear it, but I understand it. Um, like my mother or people who know me, my husband, can they said there's a difference when I'm around whites versus blacks or versus blacks 
in North St. Louis versus County, you know, that whole, that there's a, um, there's a whole change. It's a grammar change, it's a rhythm change, everything changes. Um, I, I still don't consciously hear it. You know, I just I always notice that when people are around me in that one environment and then switch to the next, I see that stupid look on their face. <laughs> I see that stupid look on their face because they're in shock. They're like, when what? I... When they're with me, like if you're here with me now and then you see me around blacks, you know, there's that, that where you instantly recognize it and I still don't. Yeah. Um, back to the bus and, and the women that rode the bus, the cleaning ladies that rode the bus, they were aware of what you were doing mm -hmm. and where you were going. Mm -hmm. And did they ask you questions or did they, was this a... They kind of pampered me, you know, I was like their little darling, and, you know, they they could go back to the houses that they worked and said, yeah, you know, there's this girl I ride the bus with that's at Mary Institute, and you know, that whole thing. Um, and they were always pulling for me and, you know, asking me, did I need any clothes or anything, and um, or bringing me little cakes. They had baked a cake at the house before they left and they'd bring me a slice or something. There were also the... Um, did you like that or not? Yeah, I did, but it, it I guess as the years went on, it felt um, a little, it was like a bit of a heavy weight. Because I felt like I had to carry something for the the race. You know, it was uh, it wasn't just me anymore. This was something for all of us, uh, which felt like a pretty big job. There were also the there were um, the blacks who worked at Mary I, the janitor and the people in the kitchen. They also always looked out for me, and you know that whole thing. And it was it was weird because as soon as well, you know, from day one when I'd walk down the hall. And I saw one of the people like that who worked there, I would just naturally say hi, even to the whites who worked there doing that. And nobody else ever spoke to them. I mean, I, I just didn't understand, you know, I'd been taught that it's rude not to speak to people, you know. But um, I couldn't understand that, you know, and I'd ask people, didn't you see her just now? You know, it's like, do you ever speak to people, you know? When they were, wanted to feel your hair, to do that. Did you want to do that with them? No. And they they would come back after um, Christmas break and spring break where they'd been to Florida or the Bahamas and they had their suntans and they'd want to put their arm against my arm and say, you know, I'm as dark as you are and that whole bit. And I thought, yeah, right, you get the easy part, you know. So That was always an adventure because um, she could rarely make the the mother's meeting or parents' meeting or whatever it was because she worked. It was always during a weekday, and none of the most of the other mothers didn't work, so it was not an issue. And when she did come out, it was like um, before I even knew that she was in the building. You know, five people would come up and tell me that my mother was there. Um, one because you know she stood out as this black woman entering the building, and the other one is she's so pretty and she's so young, and I wish you know because my mother was 20 years older than me, 
um, where a lot of their mothers had finished college first and had hoped so they had older mothers in comparison. Um, and they might have been the fourth child also. Mm -hmm. um, who were the teachers that were that you liked? You said there were two of them, especially. At Mary I? Uh -huh. Um Carol Sacker. And was dean of admissions. Yeah. But she, did she teach? She, yeah, she also taught algebra and geometry. Um, and Dr. Spencer, who was the English teacher. And what, what did you like? I mean, was it the way they taught or how they made you feel? For Carol Sacker, it was both. Um, for Dr. Spencer, it was the way he taught. I don't feel like he ever felt anything particular. Um, it was just he had, he had gone to Oxford and he was a graduate of Country Day and and he just loved English literature and he loved Charles Dickens and I loved Charles Dickens after reading it with him and um, it he it was just this man who would sit there and read aloud and he'd be the only one laughing, you know that he was just it didn't matter if anyone else was having a good time he was having a good time. Change the subject a little bit. Um, uh, what role did the church play in your family's life? Uh, my grandmother was a Baptist, and my grandfather was Muslim or is Muslim. Um, both very devout to their own religions. And then there were, um, it, you know, church was very important. So, you know, that was the thing you did on Sunday, and she baked her cakes and pies on Saturday night, so she'd be ready, you know, and she'd get up early and start the greens or the roast. The green. Yeah, and the macaroni and cheese and all that, so she could get to church and get home and, you know, everybody could eat. And then when, you, when your mom moved, did you still go back to your grandparents' house? For all the time. All the time. Yeah. My mother wouldn't leave me at home by myself. Um, so if she wanted to go out on weekends, usually almost every weekend, and almost the entire summer, so I was at my grandmother's. Um, and you played with kids in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And cousins, a lot of cousins, probably more so than anything. Mm -hmm. uh, your mother had three brothers, mm -hmm. and they all lived here? No, only two lived in St. Louis. Um, how did you spend free time as a child? I mean, did you, uh, with friends and family, or did you go places and do things? Well, on weekends, um, my mother did a lot with me. Mm -hmm. Outside of shopping, um, there was always, it, you know, I never missed a circus or a carnival or a parade, the ice capades, the Harlem Globetrotters, that whole Thing. Um, she took me out to restaurants, to the ballet. She was, um, she desperately wanted me to be cultured, I'd say. And I spent a lot of time with my grandmother in the kitchen, just sitting at the kitchen table and watching. And, um, she and I spent, my grandmother and I were best friends. And we spent a lot of time watching old movies together, 
you know, and she told me she remembers when Claudette Colbert did this or that. And, um, <clears throat> and other than that, I spent a lot of time by myself, even though there were always people in the house. I was always off in some corner um, or where the coats were. I was in that room reading. That was my escape. From what? From being in my family. I didn't um, care for a lot of my family members, and I didn't feel as a kid that they cared for me. Um, so rather than deal with that, I would just, you know, I'd get a book and go somewhere and read. Yeah, a lot, you know, sometimes people would make me come and say, you should be with the other kids, or that whole thing. Um, but usually I was by myself, and I had my imaginary friends, so I never, I didn't really feel alone, you know. And I just, I was always able to make up games or, or you know, create scenes. So it was, um, I could just amuse myself for hours, you know. Uh, did you did you go to the park or get out? Well, we went to the zoo a couple of times a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going to the museums. Or... Um. Well, every year the family has a picnic um, Memorial Day weekend at Forest Park, mm -hmm. so that was the big park day. Um, and we might go one other time and sit on the steps or something, but that would be about it. When you were sick as a child, what? If it was real bad, my mother rushed me off to the emergency room. Oh, which hospital? Homer Phillips. Um, you told me you were born at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, she also a couple of times took me to Cardinal Glennon. I don't remember ever going to Children's. Um, a couple, of, but I remember at Cardinal Glennon, she got mad because they kind of ignored me and they left me sitting on this table for like three hours with, you know, with no calls on, waiting to see a doctor. From your mother, what sense did you get of the white person? Um, that whites were um, racist. Yeah, and that, that wasn't going to change, and you just had to learn how to deal with it. Was that before you went to Mary? Yeah, yeah. For her, I went to Mary, I just, you know, strictly for the education. For the most part, I found it to be true. Yeah. Um, did your parent, did your mother ever instruct you in inappropriate behaviors with people who were racially different from you? No. 
No, I can't say that she did. Um, your future, where did ideas uh, about what you wanted to do come from or what choices you felt you had? I think a lot of the fantasies from, were for my mother, being her only child. Um, she had always dreamed of going to New York and being a fashion model. And, you know, so she got all the fashion magazines and I'd spend hours looking through them. And I always dreamed of going to New York and being a writer. Um, and she had always talked about my debutante ball and, and, you know, when I got married and, you know, there was that whole princess fantasy. Um, and that I'd probably go off to school in the East Coast. And, you know, she, she had those fantasies that, you know, her daughter would get to do all the things she didn't get to do. Um, and wear plaid skirts and all that kind of stuff. I guess a lot of that was my fantasy too, because I, like I said, my, my dream um, was to move to New York and be a famous writer, you know. Did you did you get a a, um, a sense of being able to do something like that at Mary Institute? No. Um, everybody was saying, you know, you can't make a living as a writer, which now I know is true. <laughs> and you know, you should find something else and make writing something on the side and. So I, I, people were kind of like leading me towards journalism, you know, saying there you can still write, but you can earn a living and, and all of that. So I, I felt like I was being steered away, even though I know people are trying to be helpful and sensible and all of that, but there was never a, a passionate follow your dreams. Uh, this princess mm -hmm. dream, as opposed to what might really be out there for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when did that uh, come together so that uh, you know, how did your life evolve so that it was more of a settling down to a reality? Hmm. I don't think I ever did. Um, there's that major part of me that still dreams, you know. There, you know, I, I remember when, you know, I used to read everything about Grace Kelly. Um, and, you know, I know all the facts and her kids and everything and, and the royal family. And I was just this, um, I was in love with royal families. And I, you know, I'd go to the library and, you know, they try to steer me to the juvenile section and I'd go in the adult section because I wanted to read all the books. And, you know, I knew the whole British royals, all the French, the Russians. And, um, you know, it was like this fantasy that I, I was one of them or I understood them or that whole thing. And I remember, you know, I was like 14 or 15 and I was fantasizing that I was going to marry Prince Charles. And my mother was like, well, I don't think so, dear. And I said, well, why not? And she said, because you're black, for one thing, you know. And 
I kept thinking, well, if he loved me, that, you know, this, you know, it's this whole, <laughs> that it, it just wouldn't matter, that whole thing. Um, but did you feel that the, that there, that you could do, um, that the few, that the choices were open for you for everything? I knew that they weren't, but I'm just determined to ignore that, you know, even now. Yes, that, that was in the present tense. Yeah. What do you feel isn't open to you, Kim? Now. A lot of opportunities. Claiming a part of the world doesn't feel to be open to me. Or to participate fully not as just an observer. Um, and yet I'm still determined. But you're very young. I don't feel young. Mm. I mean, in my fantasy, I was supposed to be a millionaire by now, and I've won the Pulitzer Prize and all of that, you know, so. That's fantasy. Yeah. Um. Did you have a someone that special that you looked up to or that you felt was a guiding hand? My mother and grandmother, both. Um, I wanted my mother's strength and her beauty. Um, people are always talking about how beautiful she was. And I felt very plain. Um, so I wanted desperately to look like her. I still do, actually, but... <laughs> um, Don't you know you're beautiful? Sometimes. Kind of depends on where I am. I wanted her... She had a lot of strength. My mother, I've rarely seen her cry. Where I cry at the drop of a, you know, pen, I'm just... Um, and and she was always don't let them see you cry and you know and where I just break down right in front of everybody you know so it's I just wanted that and my grandmother I just wanted her peace and her 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 free love you know she was just this very loving person she wasn't vicious she wasn't ambitious. Um, And she was just very forgiving, you know. And I wanted to be like that too. That I always felt that was part of her Christian thing that I couldn't quite get a hold of. Uh, let's see. You told me a story once about you and your mom going to the VP. Mm-hmm. Would you tell that now? Okay. Um, well, I had grown up hearing about the VP ball, and I knew about the fair and the parades and all of that. Um, and my mother had always talked about how she had spent, you know, every year they'd all sit around and watch it, and she would read all the names in the paper and the whole bit and where their gowns came from. 
and how she had always wanted to go in the whole bit. And so I had started reading the names in the paper every year or two and seeing that it was girls in my class, their sisters or something. And it just all seemed very exciting. It was something I, you know, I could fantasize about, but I knew that I'd never be a part of it. And um, I guess it was senior year, Virginia Shepley got a ticket for me to go with her. And it was like this big to-do in the family. You know, everybody was calling the phone, Kim's going to the ball, and, you know, it was like a Cinderella thing, you know, and everybody's checking to see what I have on and making sure I look okay. And, um, you know, my mother's crying and hugging me and telling me to have a good time and the whole thing. I didn't have all of those feelings about it because I didn't grow up all those years of it being this big thing on television. I never saw it on television. Um, but I remember the it was the splendor of watching how King's Highway was cut off <laughs> for this event, you know. Um, there were limos everywhere and strobe lights and and you saw all of these women in these fur coats and jewels and you knew that the jewels were real. You know, they they all looked like they were walking out of Vogue magazine or out of W. Um And it was, it was just pretty incredible to see that this event was like the Pope or something, you know, it stopped everything, all the traffic, you know, you had to detour off of Lindell and Kings Highway and, um, and getting in there and it, just the whole, the whole way the chase was decorated was just awesome. And when I went to the bathroom, there were um, the ladies who were attendants in the bathroom were black. And they were so excited to see me there as a guest. And they were like hugging me and telling me how nice I looked and putting a flower in my hair and the whole bit. And Once again, I knew it was something to all of them that it hadn't been to me yet, but I, I still felt like I was bringing my whole family there. And now the women in the restroom. Um, and so anyway, the two years later, when it was time for my class at Mary I to be in the ball, I had called around for tickets and, you know, I started saying, can you get me two? You know, this has been a dream of my mother's. And so, um, you know, everyone was saying that they couldn't get any more tickets and the whole bit. And I guess it, it was the day of that morning, someone called and said, I have two tickets for you and your mom. And she and I were so excited, you know, we were jumping up and down and we realized we had no long gowns. So we went flying downtown <laughs> um, looking for something desperately. Well, everyone's bought up all the really nice gowns anyway. And we're broke, so we, we're looking on the sale rack and we finally find these two dresses. Um, and you know, we're just, you know, she's all busy getting all fixed up and everybody's calling, saying, are you all really going? And it's, <laughs> it's like we were going to the royal wedding or something. Yeah. And out of proportion. Yeah, yeah. And we went in our raggedy little car mm -hmm. um, that I call Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That's also the car I, the first day I remember when we drove up the hill to Mary Eye, 
you know, because people were getting out in these limos and Mercedes and Rolls Royce and all these other cars kids were. And we drive up and this car is putting. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got a big dent in it and it's, you know, it's got all this dirt on it and I'm getting out and having a good time, you know. And that's how we went to the ball. And um, we were just so proud of ourselves. And I was, I, for me, I was just excited that my mother was there because I knew that, you know, for years this had meant something to her. So that was the excitement for me, watching her reactions, you know. And she was staring at everybody with the, you know, we were pointing out dresses we liked and, oh, look at that necklace and that whole thing and acting like we were used to.